All right, I hope you're doing all right today, and we're glad to have you here in God's house today. I want to look into God's Word. We're continuing our series through the book of Mark. It's entitled, Join the Journey, and what it means to be a disciple of Christ, and it looks at it from every angle. And the disciple of Christ today is an unbelievable story in Mark chapter 14. So I want you to turn your Bible there today, Mark chapter 14. We're going to be reading God's Word. So stand with me now as we read God's Word. I'm going to read Mark 14, verses 1 to 11. I'm reading out of the Legacy Standard Bible. That's the New American Standard updated here in 2022. So I switched Bibles from the New American to this one. Um, it is a word-by-word -word translation, whereas some of the ESV and the NIV are more phrase-by-phrase -phrase translations. And so sometimes you get more of the original, even though the ESV and the NIV are easy to read. I don't know why I just said that to you. I just, that just came to me, so I just want to mention that. But I do like this one specifically. This is a newer translation that I think really captures the text well. Chapter 14, now I'm going to read 1 to 11. Follow along. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how, after seizing him in secret, they might kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, lest there be a riot of the people. And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster jar of perfume, a very costly pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why, was this perfume, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they were scolding her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She did a good work for me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman did will also be spoken of her in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went away to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. You may be seated. I was speaking at a Christian college not too long ago, and uh, after I had spoken at the college in chapel, uh, one young man came up to me, and he said, I want you to pray over me and give me your anointing. Now, I haven't had that happen much in my life, but I had it happen then. He said, I want you to lay hands on me, and I want you to give me your anointing. Now, I was kind of humbled by that. I, I did pray with the young man, but after I left, I got to thinking a lot about that little interchange that I had with him. Uh, and I, I wrote, wrote some thoughts on it that I just felt compelled to kind of share with you. What kind of justice, what kind of justice would it be for you to get in a flash what it took me a lifetime of suffering to get. What kind of justice would it be for you to get an anointing without pain, without agony, without rejection, without betrayal, without loneliness? And to get it in a flash without going through the fire I had to go through to get where I am today. What kind of justice would it be? Now, I got to thinking, I wrote a prayer that I would pray over this young man, 
if I ever run into him again. And I do speak at that college some, so I wrote this prayer down. I wish I would have said this. If I prayed over you, here's what I would say to you. If I gave you my anointing, and I understand the Bible correctly, I would say this. I pray, Lord, that this young man's life would be painful, crushed, broken, living with confusion, suffering beyond human comprehension. I'd pray he'd bury his mom after nine years of cancer and watch her whittle away. I'd pray that five months later he would bury his dad because he stopped living after she died. Now, can you imagine me praying that prayer with anybody? Because you don't just pray those kind of prayers with people. None of you would come to me and say, oh, would you pray that over me? I just can't imagine as I was thinking about it. Can you imagine me praying for you? I pray you'd lose your car. I pray you'd lose your house. I pray you'd be criticized by people. I pray they would tell you you couldn't preach. I pray they would criticize you. I pray they'd use every opportunity against you. I mean, that's the last thing in the world. Hey, where are you going? I want to give you an anointing. Because that's really what an anointing is. And most people don't want that. Most people want the other side of that anointing. They want the blessing and all those things. But I'm telling you as I stand here today, that's really what it is. That if you're ever going to get an anointing by God, you have to go through a trial by fire. And you have to go through the vice, the vice of God. And he will crush you somewhere in your life. This woman here anointing Jesus before his crushing, before his crushing, she takes some pure spikenard. Now, it's interesting to me that they would have got that spikenard not in the Middle East. You had to go all the way to the Himalayan mountains in northern India. And this is where they would get this spikenard. It's called in India today, Jadamansi. Jadamansi. I don't know if I'm saying around sounds a little Italian, but Jadamansi uh, is from the base of the Himalayan mountains, and it's a very rare perfume. And they would make spike nard or pure nard with it. It was a perfume. And so what they would do is in these farms that they had there at the base of the Himalayan, they would literally look for the roots of the spikenard because it would grow half underground, half above ground. They'd look for the roots and they'd tear the roots from the ground. You start with these roots and then these roots are taken to an oil refinery. And in the oil refinery, the first thing they do with those roots is they strip them of all that hairy stuff on the outside. And when they strip all that, they get to the core of the root. Then after they grate that off, After the grating, then they take it to a place where they put it in a huge press of vice and they crush the root and they crush it and make it into a pulp. Then they put the pulp into a a vat that is boiled underneath by fire and they boil the pulp with uh, a distilled water and the distillation process rises to the surface and drops of oil fall off to the side And that's how they make those bottles of oil. I'll show you a bottle of oil. They don't use the flour for this. The flour smells like spikenard, but they basically use this oil. Now, I found it interesting as I was studying this. They make these today, but they make it in mass amounts. They mass produce this in India, and it's not as expensive as it used to be back then. Uh, Basically, you can look on Amazon, and you can get it today. 
if someone asks you, how much did it cost you for that ounce of spikenard? You could say about 22 bucks. 22 bucks an ounce. You could say it cost me 22 bucks an ounce. That's because it didn't cost that for the Jadamansi root. Didn't cost 20 bucks, 22 bucks for that Jadamansi root because you're not the Jadamansi root. Somewhere in northern India, in the Himalayan mountains, are these oil refineries, and out back are these trash dumpsters. And in those trash dumpsters are those roots. And they have been pressed, and they've been crushed, they've been pulverized, and they've been destroyed. Who could tell you how much it costs for every drop of this oil? You could ask the Jadamansi root, it costs me everything. It costs me everything. Because something had to die to produce that oil. It had to come under pressure. It had to go through agony. It had to be in the fire. You can't do that with 22 bucks. Something has to be pressed above measure to be at a breaking point in its life. And when something gets crushed, another drop of the oil would come out. Another drop of the oil. There are some people here, and the reason you got anointed is because the trials by fire broke loose in your life. You didn't want it. You didn't ask for it. But the more the enemy has crushed you, the more you grew. Drop by drop. This is how he gets the glory out of your life. This is how he gets the glory out of your life. The crushing of your flesh. The crushing parts of you that you like the best. The crushing parts of you that you think you need the most. And he crushes them right out of you, drop by drop. You don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. I want to say today that everybody in this room has an alabaster box. Some of you have more than others, but at least you have one alabaster box. And that's kind of where my sermon's going to go today, because the truth is, you don't have a clue to do what I do. And I don't have a clue to do what you do. And we really don't have a clue to do what Jesus did. Nobody knows the cost of our alabaster box. Only you do. That's my message today, and I want to teach it to you drop by drop. And so I've outlined this message. I called it the cost of anointing in my title here today, if I haven't mentioned that, the cost of anointing. There are five works done for Jesus that will never be forgotten. I am so glad to be in Mark 14. We've got three chapters left in the book of Mark. Mark 13 was a tough chapter. This, this sermon just kind of fell together. so easy to just see what did she do, what did she do. And so I've outlined it around that theme of what she did. Okay, here's the five works that Jesus said will never be forgotten about this lady. Number one, she brought about a good work. The Bible says that in verse 6. I believe, let me just catch it there. Yeah, at the end of the verse, she did a good work to me. 
Okay, so the first thing she did was she brought about a good work. Now, let me set the context of that before I get into that point, all right? Again, these are Markin sandwiches, and if you've been with me through the series in Mark, you know they're all built on sandwiches. I didn't even show them to you in 13 because I wouldn't have had time, but I can show you here. You've got verse 1 and 2 is the top piece of bread, then the middle, verse 3 to 9, is the ham and cheese of this story, and then 10, 11, and 12, or 11 and 12 are the other piece of bread at the bottom. So you've you got to know that because the two outside pieces of bread are holding this narrative together, which highlights the center of the ham and cheese, all right? So in this particular case, verse 1 and 2 are about the chief priests and the Pharisees who are seeking to, by secret, get Jesus to kill him. That's the top piece of the sandwich, okay? They could not get Jesus in public to trap him. They tried, all right? And now they can't even get Jesus in private to kill him. And the reason they can't get him in private is because they don't know where he is. He never stays in Jerusalem at night. He goes two miles up over the Mount of Olives to Bethany, and he stays in Bethany somewhere, and they can't find him. They'd like to find him. This particular case, listen to this, he's in the, he's in the house of Simon the leper. Well, if you're a chief priest, and you're a scribe, and you're a Pharisee, you ain't going around no leper. So it's a perfect hiding spot for him because they're not going to go looking for him at the, leper at the leper's house, okay? And so you really have an incredible setup here that they're trying to figure out how to do this. And then at the end of the story, you have Judas saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to betray Jesus. Now, why is Judas so ready to betray Jesus? Because he's fed up with Jesus after this incident. He goes through this one story, this one incident with this woman, and when he sees 300 denarii of this oil, that'd be 300 days' wages. That's like a year's wages. He sees this 300 days' wages. You take your whole year's salary, and he, she pours it out over his head and onto his body. And that just ticks him off, and he's thinking to himself, uh, uh, that's it, I've had it with Jesus. I've had it. We could have taken that money, put it in the treasury, and then he even complains we could have given it to the poor. We know it's him talking because John 12 tells us it's Judas that was behind it all, got everybody stirred up in the room that she's wasting the money, uh, she's wasting the oil. And so he's thinking, if we could have turned that into money, we could have said we're going to give it to the poor, but really... Judas all along was pilfering out of the money box. He was stealing the money from Jesus and the disciples' group. And so here's the deal about Judas, okay? Judas started out so well, but he progressed worse and worse over time. You know, you can have a really good start in this Christian walk, and you can progress and get worse and worse over time. I mean, you think about it. Judas did miracles. He healed people. He had an incredible ministry. I mean, the things that Judas did, um, he cast out demons. He did the supernatural. Spiritual acts, but doing God's acts does not secure your character. I don't care, I don't care if you preach up here. Just because I preach up here does not secure my character. And Judas had an issue with his character. He was stealing from the treasury, and I just want you to hear this. He was living a secret life. He was living a secret life. 
wondered about the pressure of that, to be around all those guys. How are you going to get your money out? What are you going to buy? How are you going to use that money when everybody's with you day by day by day? It must have been a lot of pressure on him. But I want to warn you, okay? I want to warn you if you're living a secret life. It'll take a little time to develop. It took him about three and a half years to get worse and worse. But if you're living a secret life involved in a cover-up in your behavior, act now. Act now for the sake of your life. Because that's what Judas failed to do. You've got to come clean with that. You've got to get that straightened out in your life. Or eventually you'll fall into the conflict between two loves. The love with yourself and the love with Jesus. And those two will conflict and will cause a horrible result in your life if you're not careful. Because you'll be pulled between these two loves and eventually Judas was pulled between these two loves and he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the story. That Judas, even though he's such a minor character in this little story, it's the reason he decides to get in with the chief priests and it gives a perfect opportunity to put Jesus on a cross. And so, Judas, after he does that then, he, listen, after he betrayed him, he could have gone back. He could have gone back to the church and said, man, I repented, I blew it, I betrayed Jesus, but he didn't. And this is what happens to people when they get further and further away from God. They start condemning themselves. When you start hearing people condemn themselves, I'm no good, I can't do it right, I have nothing to offer, self-condemnation leads you down a very dark path. Judas killed himself over it. He couldn't allow himself to free himself of the guilt, so he carried the guilt all the way to his suicide. That's a dangerous thing to do. And so I'm just telling you, don't have a secret life. Clean that up. All right? So here's the piece, the two moldy bread. I call them like the two moldy breads that hold the story together because you got the Pharisees on the one side and you got Judas on the other side. And in the middle of this, this woman gives an extravagant, outrageous gift of her love and sacrifice for Jesus. It just kind of highlights it. And in her life, she changes the atmosphere of the room to real worship, which is absolutely beautiful. She doesn't care about the criticism. She doesn't care about the custom of women being in the room with men in the other room. And so she just comes right in. She breaks the alabaster box of ointment. She pours it on his head, the spikenard, the very precious ointment, 300 days salary. Uh, and then she has it all over him. Now, to be anointed, you have to pray over the oil. So as she's pouring it out on Jesus, she's praying over Jesus. That's what it means by anointed to pray over something, in this case, the oil that's going on to Jesus. It gets down his body, down to his knees, and with her long black hair, she is on her knees, mingling the ointment with her tears, and wipes his feet. You say, how do you know that? It doesn't say it there. It says it in John 12. It's the parallel passage where she is identified as Mary of Bethany at the feet of Jesus. And so this is Mary of Bethany, even though Mark didn't want to tell us that, and he has his reasons, but Jesus said, verse 6, she's brought about a good work. What she did was a good work. They're ticked off. Everybody's ticked off. Judas has got the whole room ticked off, and they're thinking to himself, why was this waste of ointment made? Could have been sold for a year's salary and given to the poor. It sounds so pious, doesn't it? This is what people are like when they're pious, 
And, and here's Judas leading the criticism because he's a thief. He's a thief. He doesn't care about the poor. He's a hypocrite to tell other people what to do with their money. You're a hypocrite to tell other people what to do with their money. It's their money. Have you ever noticed how easy it is for... Have you ever noticed how easy it is for some people to spend other people's money? They got all kinds of ideas for your money. And they want to tell you what to do with your money. It's just amazing to me. And this is kind of the spirit of Judas in this passage. Just think it in comparison. She wasted the ointment, all right? Judas wasted his life. I mean, just think about that for a minute. It's incredible. He's talking about the poor, but he doesn't care about the poor. A lot of people talk about the poor that don't really care about the poor. That's the kind of things they say, oh, this could have been given to the poor. They don't care about the poor. All they care about are the votes and the money. And they're willing to give the citizens money to the poor, but not them, all right? Because they don't really care about the poor. All the time they're talking about the poor. That's how it works. That's how it works. How easy it is to criticize. But more important, how easy it is to criticize what other people do for Jesus. That's what I want you to see. I read this. This is... Good. One of the members of a church committee was heard to say, I don't know why everyone criticizes our committee. We haven't done anything. <laughs> I like that. If you pour your life out on the Lord, I promise you this, you're going to be criticized. You're going to be criticized if you pour your life out on the Lord. Now, when that happens to you, and that will happen to you, I promise you, when that happens to you, I want you to think about these three reasons why you don't need to worry about it. Okay, I just want to throw them out to you because these, these are just simple thoughts, but why shouldn't I worry about that? Three reasons, okay? Look what Jesus said to her in verse 6. He said, let her alone. Let her alone. I like that one. You say, what's the reason there? Jesus said, leave her alone. What's he saying? Jesus is telling us, when you get criticized by other people, he will defend you. Jesus will defend you. You just got to let him defend you. Don't defend yourself. Let Jesus defend you. That's a good one right there. That's worth your weight whenever you get criticized. Let Jesus defend her. He says, leave her alone. Number two, it's their problem. It's their problem when they criticize you. You can't make yourself sick in order to make them well. You've got to learn that about critical people. You can't make yourself sick in order to make them well. You've got to learn that about critical people. Stop letting yourself get worked up by it. Stop going at it. Stop running it through your mind. You can't make yourself sick to make them well. Number three, I'm going to guess here, I doubt she heard it anyways. I doubt she heard the criticism because she's having a wonderful time at the feet of Jesus. She is worshiping Jesus. Don't let hypocrites take away your joy. Don't let hypocrites take away your joy. It's not a waste to pour your life out on Jesus. Somebody told me one time it was a waste to be a Baptist preacher. I was like, man, I'm a Baptist preacher. They said, it's a waste to be a Baptist preacher. You know what I wish? I wish if I had a thousand lives, I promise you this, I'd live them all as a Baptist preacher. I'd live them all. That's how I feel about it. I love it. 
I absolutely love it because there's something about it, no matter how I get criticized, I want to serve him. I'm going to serve him. Pour your life out on Jesus. The world will think that's a waste, and so will other Christians. So do it like her. It wasn't a waste. She did it fully. She did it extravagantly, and she gave it all. She gave it all. Okay, that's, that's the first thought, okay? Number two. Okay, so first of all, she wrought a good work. This is beautiful. Number two, she has done what she could. This sermon was so easy to outline. Jesus just kind of laid it all, or Mark laid it all out with this. She has done what she could. Verse eight, there it is. She's done what she could. That's point two. She's anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Now, this is good. There wasn't much Mary could do, okay? Martha, Martha can cook. Martha can set the table. She can put the flowers on the table. She can put the tablecloth out there. She can make the meatloaf. Martha can do all kinds of things. What can Mary do? This is a dangerous thing sometimes. Peter, Peter, he can preach. I can't preach. I can't cook like Martha. Jesus, he can do miracles. I can't, I can't do miracles. But Mary's thinking to herself, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? She thinks to herself, I can anoint. I can anoint. Stop comparing yourself with other people. You say sometimes, if I could just sing like her, if I could just preach like him, if I could just plan like him, if I, if I, just had the, if I could just play the piano like that person, if I could just be up there playing the guitar like them. The question is not what they can do. The question is, what are you going to do with what you got? That's what you're going to be held accountable for. What are you going to do with what you got? That's what you've got to be thinking. That's how you've got to think in your mind. Jesus only demands what he gives you. Okay? It, he says, if I put a cup of cold water in your hand, then all I demand from you is a cup of cold water. If I give you a cup of cold water, that's all I want from you, a cup of cold water. Whatever I've given you, I want you to use that for me. I want you to use that for me. He was faithful in little, will be faithful in much. Jesus said, I want you to be faithful in the little that I've given you. So, it's not what Martha did, it's what Mary could do. And that's where you've got to keep your heart. You've got to keep your head there. What can I do? I love this little story. I ran across this not too long ago. There's a couple who had twin boys, and one of the boys was Downs, and one of the boys was Brilliant. So two completely opposite children, and they had twins. One day the boy came home, and he said to Dad, Dad, I got straight A's on my report card. And the dad said to his son, I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you. And then after that, the Downs boy came to his dad and said, Look, Dad, I tied my shoe. You know what the dad said? I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you. Now, I like this. The dad doesn't measure the one against the other. There's no dad in here who will do that. He doesn't measure the one against the other. He measures the each against a father's love. This is how God does it with you. You are measured against the Father's love, not anyone else. It's beautiful to think about that. Okay, number three, let's go on. Okay, so she wrought a good work. She has done what she could. 
Number three, she did all she could. She did all she could. See how easy this sermon is? Verse 3, and, and she was in Bethany. She took the perfume, and she broke the jar and poured it over his head. I love this. I love this. She broke the alabaster box. It would be like a jar, a, a glass jar that would have been very expensive, but it wasn't too expensive like the ointment that was in it. And you know what she did? She gave it all. She gave it all. She did all she could. I love this. I love this. She did all that she could do. She didn't open it. That's not what it said. She didn't open it. That's what we do. We open it. And we open it so later we can close it if we need to. We open it and we give a couple drops here, give a couple drops there, then we close it up. We may be in a good mood the next day, so we'll give another drop or two. We're in a bad mood. I'm not giving any drops today. But she didn't do that. She broke it. She broke it. See, we've been turning Jesus on and off like a radio. She did it all. She took it all. Okay? She broke it. Now, I, I thought of this. When you break it, you can't control how it comes out. Most of you have wonderful control in your life is because you are only opening your stuff. You're only opening your stuff, but you're not breaking it. But if you ever get broken, if you ever get broken, I'll tell you what will happen to you. You'll cry, and you won't want to. You'll cry, and you won't want to. It just starts coming out. Now, I know you don't want people to see that side of you. You want to kind of hide your tears. You want to kind of hide what's going on in your heart. But if you get broken, it'll come out of you. It'll come out of you in damaged places. It'll come out of you in cracks. It'll just kind of slip out of the crack. It'll come out of you in your wounds. It'll come out of you in your hurts. It, it, you, just can't, you just can't help it. It'll come out of you and your trauma. It just comes out. You can't stop it because you broke it. You were broken by him. You weren't just opened up and shut it back, open up, shut it back. No, no. You were broken by him. No wonder Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached, this, this will be a memorial forever, forever for this woman. It's teaching us the real cost of worship. That's what it's teaching us. The real cost of of worship, the kind of worship that provokes God costs you something, and it'll cost you something dearly. It won't just be an afterthought. It won't be just something you throw at him. It won't be just something you do for him. It'll dearly cost you to worship him. It's going to cost you, I promise you that. It, it, it's just, it, to enter that level of communion with God, it's got to cost you something precious. Now, what the devil will whisper to you is, hey, don't give it all. Give some, but keep some. Because you might have a rainy day. Don't be an idiot. That's what the devil will whisper to you is, just keep some of it. Don't give it all. Just open the box. Don't, don't break the box. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool to pour it all out on Jesus. Now, wherever she got it from, I'm telling you this, she gave it all. She gave it all. Are you willing to break the alabaster box of your life? To pour it all out on Him? 
Right now, what's the dearest treasure you have? What is the dearest treasure you have? Are you willing to break it and pour it out on Him? That's, that's the question we've all got to answer with our life. Are you taking the things that are dear to you and are you breaking them and pouring it out on Him? Pour it all out on Jesus. You, you want to touch Jesus' heart. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Some of you will never experience this in your life because you don't know what it means to take the dearest thing you have and to pour it out on Jesus. But she did it when she could, or she did it, she did what she could, but she did all she could. I love that. I love that. Let me go on to number four. Number four. She did it when she could. She did it when she could. Notice it says that Jesus said at the end of verse eight, she anointed my body beforehand for the burial. She somehow figured out that he was going to die, be buried, and rise from the dead. Mary was anticipating, he said it, she was anticipating the crucifixion. She was thinking about this. I think he's going to be crucified. And, and I got to thinking about this as you study Mary's life. If you study her whole life through the Bible, it's, it's fascinating to see how did this woman do it because Mary had a favorite place. That's how she did it. Her favorite place in her life was at the feet of Jesus. She loved to put herself at the feet of Jesus. Here she's at the feet of Jesus. Luke 10, 38, remember that story where Jesus comes into the house and meatloaf Martha's in the kitchen cooking a meal and Mary is sitting with all the men in the room with Jesus at his feet, it says in Luke 10, 38. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha gets all upset. Meatloaf Martha walks in and says, you tell my sister to come out here and help. I'm doing this all by myself. I am stressed out. And Jesus says, yeah, you are stressed out, Martha. But your sister has chosen the better part. Now, what do you think Meatloaf Martha thought after that? Oh, man, I'm just going back in the kitchen, you know. She can't even get support from Jesus. But Jesus says, I wish you could learn how to sit at the feet of Jesus like her. That's, that's beautiful. Because this woman sat at the feet of Jesus. So the next time you see her at the feet of Jesus is John 11. John 11, when her brother Lazarus has died. When Jesus comes to the graveside, Mary runs over to her and falls at the feet of Jesus. It says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And she listened to Jesus talk. She listened to Jesus say everything he said at Lazarus' death. And the one thing he said three times is, I must die be buried, and raised from the dead. All the disciples missed it. But this woman, this woman was sensitive and she put it together. He's going to die. He's going to die. I'm going to do something before he dies. I'm going to take all this ointment that I've been saving up. This is how they did their retirement. Then they made it in oil. They, that was their way they, they had their retirement secure. She had 300 days wages for her retirement. She said, I'm going to break it and pour it out on him. She did it when she could. Because if she'd have waited two more days, this was Wednesday night, all right? Wednesday night, Friday, he's crucified. If she had waited two days, maybe a little over two days, maybe two and a half days, three days, if she had waited three days, it would have been too late. 
I mean, because look at all her friends. All of her friends went to the tomb on Sunday morning, and they were going to anoint the body of Jesus with spices and oils. And when they got there, he was gone. He had risen from the dead, and they didn't have an opportunity to anoint him because they were too late. Too late. She speaks to me because here's a woman who did what she could. She could, did all she could, but she did it when she could. That is so important. When she could. And how could she do it when? Because she was spiritually sensitive to the Spirit of God speaking to her heart. Now, here's what I want to say to you, okay? Some of you are going to wait too long. You are going to wait too long. You're going to hear this message you're going to say, oh, good message, but you're never going to break your box. You're going to keep it in the closet, and you're never going to pour it out. And what's going to happen, this is going to be so sad for you, but your opportunity will pass, and you will not have that opportunity because one day you're going to die. And you have waited too long, and it's too late. That's a sobering thought. If you keep your alabaster box in the closet... One day you will die. And then I want you to think about this. Who's going to get it? Who's going to get it? I'll tell you who's going to get it. The worms are going to get it. The moths are going to get it. The rust is going to get it. I promise you this, the government's going to get some too. The government will get it. These might get it. The lawyers will get it. They'll get some of it. And maybe even your kids will fight over it. I'm just saying to you, I'll bet you today Mary is glad she did not wait two more days. She did it when she could. Now I should probably throw this in. I don't want to run out of time here, but just as Mary and Jesus were ready for his death, I, I, I see them be the only two in Scripture that were ready for his death, Mary and Jesus. So we are in the business of getting people ready for their death. We've got to take that serious too. We are in the business of getting people ready for their death. Had a lady in the church call some time ago. She called me up, and I mean, she was hysterical. She was hysterical, and she said, Pastor Rob... My dad just died, and he's in hell. My daddy's in hell. It was a grown woman. She was hysterical on the phone, and she said, he's in hell. He's in hell. My daddy's in hell. I told her, I said, calm down. I said, I want to say something to you. Last night, you asked me some time ago to go see your dad in the hospital, and I knew he was at the point of death, so I went. And I went into the room, and I asked him if he was saved and if he knew the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And had he put his faith and trust in him? And he said, no, he had not. And so I spent time opening the Word of God, sharing in that with him. And I said, would you like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? I mean, he's like a day from dying. He said, yes, I would. And I said to this lady on the phone, I said, I just want you to know, your dad received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior last night, and he's not in hell. <laughs> He's in heaven. And she went from hysterical, he's in hell, to he's in heaven, he's in heaven. And just that change, just that shift. Because why? Part of my job, part of your job, is getting people ready for their eternity. 
And that's what you want to be about. You want to be about getting people ready for their death. It's a beautiful thing to think about. Okay, let me do number five and I'll close. She did it all for eternity. She did it all for eternity. Verse 9 says, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman did will also be spoken of in memory of her. It will forever be a memorial in the Word of God and for all eternity, forever, that this extravagant gift will not be forgotten. But even more deeply, this extravagant gift pictures the gospel. And that's why God did it. That's why he stuck it in this story through the Holy Spirit. Because you have to understand, the alabaster box that was broken is the body of Jesus. It is crushed. Like a spikenard root. It is crushed. His body is crushed and broken. The liquid oil that she pours out on Jesus that is super expensive is Jesus' blood poured out. It's His blood poured out. So this woman had the ability to see the cross. Even though she didn't understand it all, she had the ability to see the cross and the gospel. And she told the gospel in her story. The critics said, what a waste! You could have given it to the poor. And what Jesus said is, I'm giving it to the spiritually poor. Because I'm going to pour my life out and be a ransom for many. That the spiritually poor could have eternal life. It will last forever, Jesus said. It will last forever. Now, what do you got right now in a thousand years that will still be around? What do you got? A thousand years from now. Will it last in a thousand years? What you got? That's, that's the most important question you could ask, answer today as we go out. What do I have that in a thousand years is going to last? Most of what you got in a thousand years is not going to last. Number one, your lawn. Okay, now some of you are happy about that, okay? But some of you, man, you take care of your lawn. I'm promising you in a thousand years it won't be here. It won't last. College football. In a thousand years, I'm going to just take a gander here. It won't be around. A thousand years. Okay, we can go back a thousand years. It wasn't there. Okay, I'm going to guess in a thousand years. It's a guess. All right, I'm going to guess it's not going to be around either. The style of hairs. Everybody's so into the style of hair. Nothing wrong being in the style of hair. But I'm telling you, in a thousand years, it won't last. It won't even matter. It won't even matter. Look, look where we're putting our time. Look where we're putting our head, our thoughts. That, that's, that's what I'm just trying to say to you, get you to think about it. Matter of fact, one day the mountains will crumble, the Bible says. The stars will fall. All the things, all the things men schemed for and dreamed for and sold their souls for. All those things will turn to dust and rust and corrupt. It will all be gone. I'm telling you, things will look different in the light of eternity. Okay? That alabaster box will matter in light of eternity. But a lot of things around here aren't going to matter one lick. So what are you doing with your alabaster box? So, things so important now won't be then, and things that aren't important to a lot of people will be important then. I'm just challenging you to give your thought to that in your life. All right, let's pray. Let's pray.
Every head bowed, eyes closed. I want to talk to you just for a moment. I, I, I just feel a sense of urgency. First of all, if you're here and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to tell you something. Your soul is your alabaster box. Your soul is your alabaster box. It's the most important thing you have right now. And if you've never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the most important thing you could do because it will last for all eternity. It'll be here in a thousand years. It'll be here in another thousand years for all eternity. Now, if you would just say with uplifted hand, you know, Pastor Rob, I need to be saved. I've never put my faith and trust in the Lord as my Savior. I, I just want to give an opportunity. You're here, and that's your alabaster box. And you lift up your hand and say, that's my prayer, to know Jesus as my Savior. I need to receive him today. Would you lift up your hand right where you are? Just put it up so I can see it. I don't want to take... Okay, I see, I see two hands there in the back. Is there another just lift it up so I can see it. Okay, I see that hand right down here. Is there another? Okay, for three, you can put those hands down there in the back. Um, I think it was three. Okay, for you three who put your hands up, just I want you to pray this prayer right now. The prayer doesn't save you, but it comes from your heart. And if it's in your heart right now, which I believe it is because you had the courage to even raise your hand. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner and there's nothing I can do to save myself. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for my sin. I believe it. Save me. Save me right now comes right out of your heart out of your heart and I believe on the authority of God's word you are saved and we want to help you we want to help you walk in your faith and we help you to be the person God wants you to be you're going to need some time to do that it's not just a one time decision it is a one time decision with a heart that wants to follow him and God will put that in you God will put that in you so we want to help you to that end now, now I want to just speak to everyone in this room who knows Christ as their Savior. I want you, I want you if you're saved, I want you to take the alabaster box in the closet of your mind. Okay, you know where it is. It's the dearest treasure on earth to you. chosen one of the alabaster boxes today that's in your mind and you say today I, I want to break it I want to break it I don't want to just open it I want to take this alabaster box that's precious to me and I want to pour it out on Jesus I'd like to pray for you as well now if you just lift up your hand and say I I'm willing to do that would you lift up your hand? You're willing to do that. Yes, yes. There's hands all over the room. Thank you for that. Yes, yes. I see those hands. Okay. Let's just pray over that. Father, for these hands that went up, they have an alabaster box. There's probably several, several of them in their, in their mind. But this is the one they're dealing with right now. And they want to break it. They want to pour it out on you. God, I pray for them. 
that you'd help them to do that as they make this choice today. And Lord, remind them whatever they pour out on Jesus always comes back. Always comes back. It'll never, never be wasted. Help them as they pour that out on Jesus in their hearts. And I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Praise team's going to sing this song. And we're going to worship as we sing this song today. Thank you for those hands and those decisions made today. But if you've got something you want to pour out at this altar, this is the time. Just pour it out on Jesus. This altar is open for you.